The Glory Center would like to welcome you to this podcast. We hope that this teaching will encourage and minister to you. And now, the message. Let's see here, Revelation 16, uh, picking just kind of where we left off last week here, just as quick as I can, uh, without being too quick. And let me say, because I know how uh, a lot of the things are people... The main things that people wonder about in the book of Revelation, it's always two witnesses, Mark of the Beast, and like the last three or four chapters. Well, what's the thousand years? And what's the this? And what's the that? And what's the that? All those things there. But I hope I conveyed that, you know, the importance of the whole book and not just those few things that stick out to us because of previous teachings that get our minds all freaked out over chips in our hands and stuff, right? So I hope I've conveyed the whole book is important because the whole book is about, it's the only book, man, in all of Scripture that says, blessed is the one who hears, reads, understands the words of this prophecy. And it's about the removing of the veil. <clears throat> the veil was the law system, 2 Corinthians 3. You know, Paul said, even today, when Moses is read, a veil is over their hearts and minds, right? So the whole book of Revelation is about the removing of the veil, the removing of the old creation, the old heaven and earth. And it uses cosmic covenantal language to convey this uh, whole ordeal, if you will. Now, Revelation uh, 16 and picking up in verse 15, right where we left off last week. He says, Behold, I'm coming like a thief. Now remember, in Matthew chapter 24, we referenced it. We, we read it last week when Jesus talked about that near the latter part of the chapter. And he's, he said, uh, uh, you try to quote like four verses at once for, for brevity's sake, but uh, he talking about the servant. And then he says that the wicked servant says that his master delays his coming. And the church has been saying he delayed it for 2,000 years. And Jesus said, Matthew, the wicked servant says his master delays his coming. He says, but his master is going to come like a thief. So this thief coming is not, you know, usually a thief breaking into your house is not a good thing. No, right. You know, and so the judgment of the Lord came like a thief on Old Covenant Israel and their house. What was the house? The temple. We, we reiterate that a lot, all right? And so then we went to 1 Thessalonians 5, and we looked at where Paul talked about the coming of the Lord like a thief. All right, now, picking up here, verse 16, he said, And they gathered them together for the place, Revelation 16, 16. And it might depend on your translation, but uh, 16 here, it says, The place in Hebrew, pardon me, in Hebrew, which is called Har, in, in the NASB, Har-Mageddon, all right, or Armageddon. Now, this is the only place in all the Bible where, it's translated this way as Armageddon or Har-Mageddon. And it's, in the, in the Old Testament, it's used 11 times, but it's it's not Har-Mageddon, it's just Megiddo. Can you see Megiddon there where it would be Megiddo without the end on the end? It's the Valley of Megiddo. It's a literal place in Jerusalem. Today, when you leave here, not in your car, but when you go home or sit in the parking lot, just Google Valley of Megiddo. And it's a place in Israel, and it'll show you, there's nothing extravagant about it, it's just a valley, and that's what it is, the Valley of Megiddo, all right? Um, and it was a place, and there's places in the Old Testament where some of the uh, kings of Israel were murdered there. It was a place, it was a war place. It would be sort of like saying Waterloo, or uh, whatever kind of uh, Pearl Harbor, all right? It kind of draws those, it was a place of war and battle, and uh, bad things happening in battle. And so that's the imagery. Again, it's in Old Testament, right? The, new, the book of Revelation has over 400 quotations from the Old Testament. It is the most plagiarized work by far in all the scripture. And so he's constantly drawing from Old Testament language, Old Testament imagery. And so it's the Valley of Megiddo. And this was a place where uh, uh, even the Romans uh, assembled some of their forces at one point in the battle, uh, the war of the Jews. Now, uh, verse 7 here. Uh, pardon me, 17. 
He says, Then the seventh angel poured out his bowl upon the air, and a loud voice uh, came out of the temple, saying, from the throne, It is done. Now notice this. And there were flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder. There was a great earthquake, <clears throat> such as there had not been since man came to be upon the earth, which is the Greek word gay, which means the land of its land, the land of Israel, uh, such as there had not been upon the land. So great an earthquake it was, and it was so mighty. <coughs> Verse 19. Now, let me say this, though, by the way. If you go read Matthew 24 and all the signs that Jesus said would happen in that generation, we know from the scriptures and we know from uh, church history uh, from many, many places, not the least of which is the writings of Josephus, um, of course, all those things. Jesus spoke of famines, you know, in various places. Well, even in Acts chapter 11, the prophet Agabus, what did he come and prophesy? There would be a great famine throughout all the Oikomene, all the Roman Empire world, which included Israel, Jerusalem. Uh, you, you know, what I, when I say Agabus, Acts chapter 11, prophet prophesied a great famine. You familiar with any of that? Okay. So all these things, we know there were earthquakes. And of course, there were even in the book of Acts, you've got earthquakes when God gets to tap in his foot because somebody's praising him and he likes the song and people are getting out of jail. I mean, Jesus resurrects. I mean, all these things happen, man. And so um, we know these things happen. And we know the gospel went to the whole world. Uh, as many scriptures say, and as church history emphatically and repeatedly says, uh, we know even here in the Valley of Megiddo, we know that the Romans, uh, they had armies from Syria, uh, in other words, you go in, and, like Alexander the Great, but even the Romans, you know, you go in, you conquer, and then that, now that's your military, right? And so then that's your base in Syria. You take over, and so they, but they had armies from Syria, Asia Minor, uh, Palestine, Egypt, all of Britain, right? And so, and many of these armies assembled and helped in destroying Jerusalem. But nonetheless, notice this. The great city, verse 19, was split into three parts. Now, I don't have time to turn there, but just make a note of this. In Ezekiel chapter 5, this is a reference to Ezekiel chapter 5, and we've read there before, but whenever the Lord tells the angel, go out and mark on the heads, so there's your mark, which you see quoted also later in Revelation for the saints of God. He says, go to this third part of the city and do such and such, Ezekiel 5, then go to this third of the city and do such and such, and then go to the last third of the city. So this is, again, this is scripture, right? Scripture interpreting scripture. Ezekiel 5, don't have time to turn there. Just make a note. It's not that long. Go read it, you know. He said, and the cities of the nations fell. Babylon the great was remembered before God to give the cup of, uh, her the cup of the wine of his fierce wrath. Verse 20, every island fled away. The mountains were not found. Notice this, verse 21. And huge hailstones, about 100 pounds each, came down from heaven upon men. Now, I almost put some pictures up here, but uh, I just, I just, there's, you can only fit so much into you know one thing, and I pack enough in there as it as it is. But you can Google these hailstones. Just you know, I don't know. Josephus, Romans, hailstones, something like that. And you can get pictures from today of some of these hailstones that were used. And they were sort of a white-ish color, um, beige, beige white kind of color. Uh, and they weighed, according to Josephus, about 100 pounds. And so these were the hailstones when the Romans would use their catapults to sling the hailstones, to break down uh, the walls, that type of thing, and then just to go in and smash homes and people and buildings. and uh, That makes sense, doesn't it? Again, uh, huge hailstones, about 100 pounds each, came down from heaven. But did these Jewish people repent? No. They got more vile as time went on. Right? They never said, oh, maybe we should have believed in that Messiah guy. No, they cursed God, they blasphemed God, and... Uh, Never repented. Now, chapter 17. Uh, I've not looked it up in the Greek. It probably means, uh, it could mean, there's a Greek word, word called arrow, 
uh, just means the Bible speaks of three heavens, one of which is this atmosphere up here. You know, um, it could mean that. I'm not sure, though. Good question. Um, not sure. All right, verse 1, uh, and just going to move quickly. If I do this right, I can get through 17, and then in chapter 18, we're just going to read a few verses. Thank you, Cindy. Jordan Breed, okay. Goose Fraba. Somebody know that? Goose Fraba? What was that movie? Jack Nicholas and Adam Sandler. Anger Management, yes. Goose Fraba. All right, don't answer. Verse 1. Now, this, this is uh, interesting stuff here. It says, Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bulls came and spoke with me, saying, Come, and I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth, and again, all through this chapter, I believe every time the word earth is used in chapter 17, it's the Greek word gay, which is land of Israel with whom the kings of the land committed acts of immorality, and those who dwell on the land were made drunk with the wine of her immorality. And he carried me away into the, uh, in the spirit, into the wilderness, and I saw a woman uh, sitting on a scarlet beast full of blasphemous names, having seven heads, and ten horns. It's really interesting, this wilderness concept. The ancient Eastern thought, and you even see it all through the, you know, in the Old and New Testament, a lot of times this reference to wilderness. The wilderness, the, the, the waste wilderness type areas, the uninhabited wastelands wilderness, uh, the Jewish people and the and ancient Eastern peoples believed that that's where demons uh Headquartered, basically. Um, that that though, in Luke chapter eleven, Jesus talks about you know you cast you know you cast out the spirit and the spirit goes about wandering and then he finds nothing and he wanders in the wilderness and he finds nothing. And you got Jesus in Luke chapter four and Matthew chapter four. He's led into where the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. You got the scapegoat. Where where would the scapegoat go? Into the wilderness to be destroyed. It was this concept that that's where demons and fallen evil spirit beings dwelt and inhabited, right? And so that's a concept you can keep in mind. Very interesting thought here that he's carried into the wilderness to see this beast and this harlot, right? That would have fit his mindset at that time. So, uh, carried into the wilderness, verse 3, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast. So we're going to look at who the woman is and who this beast is here. The beast was full of blasphemous names, having seven heads and ten horns. The woman was clothed in, in purple, scarlet, adorned with gold, precious stones, and pearls. Now, of course, here, the woman sit, who sits on the beast, the woman is Israel. Old covenant, apostate, Messiah rejecting Israel. Notice this, clothed, clothed in purple and scarlet to the Jewish people. Purple was uh, a color of wealth and prestige and royalty, all right? Uh, adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls. Having in her hand a gold cup full of abominations. And you see this theme through Revelation, and you even see it in the Gospels where Jesus tells Israel and the Pharisees, drink the cup of your wrath. So you see this sort of theme, this cup of wrath uh, associated with... Uh, Messiah rejecting first century, first century Israel. A gold cup, and of course in Matthew 23, Jesus told them, you're, you're, you look like a beautiful cup on the outside. You know. So again, uh, uh, verse 4, pardon me. He says, of the unclean things of her immorality. Now look at verse 5. And on her forehead, a name was written, a mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the land, the, the gate, or the land of Israel, the earth. Babylon the Great. Now, in, at the end of chapter 16, and here in chapter 17, when he keeps talking about Babylon the Great, that's Israel. It's not Iraq, because even, now think with me, even in the book of Revelation, 
What does he say? I think chapter 11, I might be wrong. What does uh, the word call Israel? He says, he compares it and says, which is mystically, depending on your translation, or spiritually called Sodom and Egypt, where our Lord was crucified. So he wasn't saying that, obviously Jesus was not crucified in Sodom or in Egypt. But he's saying that Israel had become so wicked that they were like Sodom and Egypt. Sodom was vile, perverse, obviously. What, what was Egypt? E Egypt oppressed the people of God. And it, this, was, this is what first century, first century Israel was to the true people of God, the new covenant, uh, Messiah-believing people of God. And even Jesus compared them in Matthew chapter 12, I believe it was. He, he said, what, what will I compare this generation unto? You know, and then one of the things he compared them to was Sodom. He said it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for Sodom than for this generation. Talking about first century unbelieving apostate Israel. So here you have him comparing them and referring them as Babylon. Well, what was Babylon? Babylon, uh, many places into the Old Testament there, but not the least of which, Isaiah, Jeremiah, the, uh, uh, some, many of the prophets, uh, Daniel, Daniel's living in the time of Babylonian captivity. Babylon at that time was the world empire, and they came in and wiped out the people of God and destroyed the temple of Solomon. And so anyways, uh, not something you'd want to be, I mean, it wouldn't be a compliment if I, Max, you're a heck, you just, God, you're a good guy. You know who you put me in the mind of? Jeffrey Dahmer. God, <laughs> you're a good guy. Well, it's, you know, you wouldn't want to be compared to, you know, whenever I go over to, uh, uh, God, I don't want to, this is Mike, right? Whenever I go over to old Mike's house, it's a Mike stand, I guess. Whenever I go over to Mike's house, boy, I tell you, it's such a, God, you just feel so welcomed over there. It's just like going into Sodom and Gomorrah. Right? It's just, <laughs> like, you don't want to be compared to certain things, right? So when, when, John, when the angel tells John and compares Israel to uh, Sodom and Egypt and then here to Babylon, not a compliment. So, you know. Now, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots, verse 5, the abominations of the land. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of Jesus. And when I saw her, I wondered greatly, verse 7. And the angel said to me, why do you wonder? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carries her, which has the seven heads sorry, and the ten horns. The beast that you saw was and is not and is about to come up out of the abyss and go to destruction. And those who dwell in the land whose name has not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world. Now the word world there is the word cosmos. It's one of only three times in Revelation that it's the actual word for physical creation, the whole earth. Right? This is one of only three times where the word world or earth actually means all of it in the Greek. Now, uh, we'll wonder when they see the beast that he was not and is not and will come. Here is the mind of wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits. Now, what is Rome? The city on what? Seven hills. Seven hills. All right. The seven heads are the seven mountains on which the woman sits. Now, this is also very much so worth noting. Now, what was it, two weeks ago, maybe, I had a picture up here, a coin, uh, one of the coins of Nero that they had. Well, every time the new Caesar would come, Caesar would come into, I just combined Caesar and emperor and said Caesar. Every time a new, in my head, and that's how it came out. Every time a new Caesar would come into power, uh, you know, they would have new coins, right, for them. Uh, the guy that took over after Nero, Nero reigned from 54 to 68 AD, and then he took his own life. And uh, after he killed his own mother and married two young boys publicly and did lots of other vile things, uh, sick dude. Um, Vespasian uh, came into power at one point, and Vespasian's coin 
uh, on one side of his coin was actually uh, a woman. Uh, let me make sure I have it here. I don't, don't want to. Let me see if I don't have a picture. Let me see if I have the. Uh, make sure I get it right here. Yeah, yeah. A woman sitting on seven hills. And so Vespasian reigned from 69 to 78 AD. And one of the pictures of his coins. See, these are things they can understand. It would be absurd for, for John, for the Lord through John, to send letters to these seven churches that they don't yeah. understand. Like, thanks a lot, God. Mm -hmm. Oh, and we're being persecuted, but this isn't for us. This is for people 2,000 plus years in the future. Thanks. I mean, that doesn't do me any good, right? You know? So, um, this would make sense to them. And then why does the angel tell him? You're going to understand. Here is wisdom for the mystery. Well, he's explaining it to him things he can understand. So again, even, uh, I guess you could do that, uh, archaeology had discovered. Uh, of course, we had the picture of Nero's coin, uh, and then uh, Vespasian's coin was a woman uh, sitting on the seven hills there. Very interesting. So he says there, uh, verse 9, the seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits. Verse 10, now notice this, this is very interesting. And they are seven kings. So right here when he talks about these seven kings, again, this is something they would understand. And these, he's referring here to the first seven Roman Caesars. All right? Now, and of course we have their names and the times that they reigned and uh, all of this type of stuff. Augustus, you ever heard of Augustus Caesar? He was the very first Roman Caesar in, in that formation of their government and empire, right? Mm -hmm. He was the very first one. So you start with Augustus. Now notice this, though, and we'll, I got all the names here for you, the, these seven emperors. He says, five have fallen, seven kings. Verse 10, I'm going slow on purpose here. Seven kings, five have fallen, one is. The other has not yet come, but when he comes, he will remain only a little while. All right, now let me just read this to you here from my notes. Here's the Caesars, the, the seven kings or, or emperors or Caesars right here in order. Augustus, and I'm sure somebody's writing these down, so I'll go as slow as I can. Augustus, Tiberius, Third, Caligula. Aren't you glad that's not your name or title? Augustus, Tiberius, Caligula, Claudius. We've Most of us have at least heard of Augustus and Claudius and Nero. Uh, so, uh, Claudius. Then, Nero. Galba. After Nero, Galba, G-A-L-B-A, yeah. What's that? I don't. <laughs> no, I know what you mean, but no, you don't. <clears throat> Certainly some of these were much more prominent. And then after Galba was Otho, O-T-H-O. And you can find all the information you want on these guys. Now notice here he says that uh, the one who... There is one who is, but then there's one who will come, but he will only remain a little while. Of course, numerically, that's the seventh one. That's Otho. When Otho came into power, he literally reigned for only three months and one day. So Otho, the seventh Caesar in this line of Caesars, uh, only reigned three months and one day. He's the one that remained. Do you have something else? Or we just, okay, sorry. I got you. Since, uh, three months and one day. So we have all this here. This would make sense to John, right? Now, verse 11. And I'll gladly give you all those names or if you need them again. Verse 11. The beast which uh, was and is not is himself, and this gets really wordy and all this, I'm sorry, also an eighth and is one of the seven, and he goes to destruction. Verse 12. Bear with me. The ten horns which you saw are ten kings who have not yet uh, received a kingdom. Now Rome was broken up 
Roman Empire was broken up into ten senatorial, senatorially governed senatorial provinces. We're broken up into 50 states. They were broken up into 10 senatorial, senatorially governed provinces. Seven heads, your 10 horns. There you go. All right, now. But they receive authority as kings with the beast, which is the, the fullness of the Roman Empire with the Caesar behind them, empowering them, authorizing them for one hour. Now notice this, verse 13. These have one purpose, and they give their power and authority to the beast. These will wage war against the lamb, and hallelujah, the lamb will overcome them, because he is Lord of lords and king of kings, and those who are with him are the called and chosen and faithful. Aren't you glad? Yeah. Hallelujah. Thank you. Put that in your pipe, devil. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Verse 15. And he said to me, the waters which you saw where the harlot sits are peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues. Now remember, I've told you several times I've referenced that in the book of Revelation, very often he references the waters or the seas, and that represents the Gentiles and the nations, because Jerusalem, Israel, was a major city, just like today, New York, L.A., Milan, uh, uh, London, you know, whatever, take your pick, uh, Paris, you know, these major cities of enterprise and commerce and business and wealth and so prestige and so on. Uh, Jerusalem was the same thing, which they didn't have internet or airplanes. So you want to get there, you got to cross the seas and the lands to get there. And so even here, you see a further explanation of that. <clears throat> when he says, the waters which you saw were the harlots, uh, the harlots, apostate Israel. He says, are the peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. So the Gentile nations that are uh, benefiting from their harlotry, if you will. Now, he said in verse 16, and the ten horns which you saw, and the beast. Now notice this. The ten horns which you saw and the beast will hate the harlot. Now the harlot has been buddied up. Old Covenant Israel was working with Rome to persecute the Christians in the first century. All right? But then he says here that the beast will hate the harlot and will make her desolate and naked. Well, that's when Rome can put up with no more Jewish rebellion and comes in and slaughters them, wipes them out. So they buddied up for a while, but eventually... Uh, they wipe them out. What was what I used? I was a history buff growing up, but uh, got away from it. I still enjoy it. I don't ardently delve into it like I used to. What was the name of uh, God? What was the treaty that Hitler signed with uh, Stalin? Stalin. It was a peace treaty, essentially, that he wouldn't attack them. Mm -hmm. Of course, he did, yes. which was devastating for both of them, and was the biggest part of. Uh, Nazi Germany's downfall. Mm -hmm. That and when da, 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 we came in and helped out. So both of those things. Uh, now, so in other words, just as Hitler betrayed, you know, not that, not that Rome probably owed them their allegiance, but similar concept there. They buddied up for a while, then Rome had enough of some of their issues and came in and wiped them all out. Now notice this, he will make her desolate. That's Rome. You go to Daniel chapter 9, you go to Matthew 24, Luke 21, what, what is commonly referred to what Rome does? The abomination of desolation. Desolation means destruction, destroy, right? So he will make her destroyed. And that's what Rome did to Israel. And will uh, make her naked. Expose them for what they really are, in other words. And will eat her flesh and burn her up with fire. And boy, I tell you that. You hate to say it, but that's basically what literally happened. Now notice this. For God has put it in their hearts to execute his purpose. Now you think about that. God is not a fan of murder. Hello. You ever heard of uh, thou shalt not? <laughs> One of those is, hey, don't kill people. You know. But there are scriptures where it says God will give them over. 
to a spirit of delusion. They, you know, they want to, Paul even did that. In 1 Corinthians 5, the guy sleeping with his stepmom, Paul said, okay, okay, we've tried, we've done everything. Let's just take a hands-off approach and turn him over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh. But if he dies, that's what Paul said, his spirit will be saved. Now that doesn't fit with a lot of people's doctrine, but I can't help that. Paul said, even if he dies in that sick, perverted state, he'll still go to heaven because he's been born of God. You know, he, he can destroy his flesh and people and stuff, but that doesn't mean he's not saved. Thank God for that. Now, Paul turned him over to Satan. What's that mean? Well, today we say that like this sometimes. I don't know if they do in Michigan. In the South they do. Uh, if he wants to live like the devil, let him. You know, I, I've tried. I, I've, you know, a parent might do this when you've, you know, you've given your kid every chance under the sun. And then, you know, finally, you know, you have to say, that's it. You can't stay here anymore. I got And it kills you inside. But you got to take, you're hoping that, uh, they'll taste the full bitterness of their sinful lifestyle and negative, you know what I'm trying to say? And that they'll finally hit the bottom of the bottom and snap out of it and see things for what they are and, you know, come into alignment with truth and that type of thing. So same thing here. The Lord's left, you know, you can, God gives us freedom of choice, man. We can, we can flow with God and function with the things of God or we can just be as whatever as we want to be and the Lord will allow that. He says, and by giving their kingdom to the beast, Israel's kingdom to the beast, to be fulfilled. He said, the woman whom you saw is the great city, which reigns over the kings of the, the gay, the land of Israel, the earth. The woman you saw is the great city, Babylon the great, Israel. And uh, I think I can read a few verses to you in chapter 18 and have it out of the way. And then that'll just the next two weeks, we could probably wrap this thing up, man. And I know most of you are wanting to get to those things anyways, <laughs> or some of you are. So uh, chapter 18, very quickly, I'm just going to read a few verses because there's no read to go through all the verses in this chapter uh, for, for what we're doing. <clears throat> Revelation uh, chapter 18. First one. I'm just going to kind of blaze through this and we'll be finished. He says, after these things, I saw another great angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth of the land was illumined with his glory. He cried out with a mighty voice, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place of demons and a prison of every unclean spirit and a prison of every unclean and hateful bird. For all the nations have drunk of the wine of the passion of her immorality. The kings of the land have committed acts of immorality with her. The merchants of the land have become rich by the wealth of her sensuality. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, so that you will not participate in her sins and receive of her plagues. Remember back in Revelation chapter 11 when God prepared a place in the wilderness? Remember that? For the, and of course we know historically that's literally what the Christians did. Jesus said in Matthew 24, but really in Luke 21, he told his disciples, when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, flee to the mountains. And we know historically they did that. Josephus said as far as he knew and the records knew, not a single Christian died uh, in the Roman. Now, they were being killed leading up to it by Jews persecuting them. I mean, even in Acts chapter 7, you got Stephen stoned to death. But that's by, you understand? But when the Roman invasion happened, the three and a half year Roman invasion, uh, the Christians believed the Messiah. And when they saw Jerusalem surrounded by armies, they fled to the mountains of the wilderness. And they had to go across the Jordan River, which is very prophetically significant. Mm -hmm. Because when they came into the promised land in the book of Joshua, chapter 3 and 4, they had to cross the Jordan River to go into the promised land. Well, prophetically, they had to walk out of the physical promised land by crossing Jordan again, the Jordan River. All right. Is that making sense? Yeah. All right. And uh, But they were entering into the true land of rest. Hebrews chapter 3 and 4, which Max exhorted us with earlier, which is the land of rest. All right. If any man labors, let him labor to rest. All right. Now, they went to a place called Mount Pella, by the way. You can look it up. It's readily available. He says, come out of her, my people, so you will not participate in her sins, receive her plagues. 
for her sins have piled up as high as heaven, and God remembers her iniquities. Of course, Jesus told the Pharisees, you know, fill up the cup of your wrath. You know, we know that, so that's kind of a reference there. Pay her back even as she has paid. Give back to her double according to her deeds, which that's a quotation from Isaiah. He says, in the cup which she has mixed, mix twice as much for her. Almost finished. To the degree that she glorified herself and lived sensuously, to the same degree, give her torment and mourning. For she says in her heart, I sit as a queen. The woman, in other words, the woman who sat on the beast, the woman is Israel. I sit as a queen, and I am not a widow, and I will never see mourning. Boy, there's so much in that. I am not a widow. Well, covenantally, understand what I'm trying to say here, and it's not perfect, but we see this language all through the Old Testament. Uh, but covenantally, Mosaic temple religion was divorced from Yahweh. You understand? And Yahweh had come to them, and Yahweh, Jesus, God in the flesh, he did die. And he died the old covenant system away. So they were widows because they were trying to live in a system that was dead to, as far as God was concerned. God stopped honoring the blood of animals and only honored the blood of his son. So they were widows. And not only did their husband, Yahweh, die, they're the ones that killed him. You, you get what I'm saying? Now, very quickly, let me show you Zechariah, something very interesting here in light of this, Zechariah 12. Just a few verses. I'll have it up here, but you can you know, turn it up to me. And then this will encapsulate, basically, most of what we've looked at this morning in a lot of ways. Ah, God, I love it when this stuff makes sense. <laughs> I mean, look at what Ray and Jane are doing now. If, if it was true that, uh, well, everything has to get worse and worse every day, and it's well, hell and then why bother? Mm -hmm. Ray and Jane, it's just going to get worse. Mm -hmm. You're wasting your time because it has to get worse. Yeah. Don't even worry about it. Yeah. Give me a burn. I mean, it just wouldn't even make logical sense. Sit on your hands. Sit on your hands and pray that it does get worse, man. Shoot. Zechariah 12. Now check this out. Uh, verse 9. And in that day, uh, I will set about to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. Now this is spiritual Jerusalem. Hebrews chapter 12 says, we, the new covenant people of God, are the true city of peace. The, the heavenly Jerusalem that comes down, new Jerusalem is not a place, it's a people. You understand that? We are the city of God. What did Jesus say? You are a city set on a hill. All right. So he's talking about defending the new covenant people of God, which is what Revelation you know, is about. Verse 10, I will pour out on the house of David... Jesus is the promised seed of David who would have an everlasting kingdom and throne. On the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the spirit of grace and of supplication, so that they will look on me whom they have pierced. They will mourn for him as one mourns for an only son. And they will weep bitterly over him like the bitter weeping of a firstborn. Well, you don't have to really explain much here. It's pretty obvious, huh? They're going to mourn over the one that they pierced. What does Revelation chapter 1 say? It says that everyone in the land of Israel, it says uh, those who pierced him would look upon him and mourn. Well, this obviously can't be today because the ones who pierced him had to be alive when this happened. The people of Israel is what it really means. I know the Romans carried it out, but it means the Jews who turned him over to death, right? Uh, in that day, verse 11, there will be a great mourning in Jerusalem, like the morning of Hadadramon, or whatever, in the plain of, there it is, Megiddo, which we mentioned earlier. Now, Hadramon is a place where certain kings I mentioned earlier was a very specific place in the valley of Megiddo where many kings of Israel's past had been killed in battle. So it was a particular place of mourning. And, and uh, I mean, if you think about uh, JFK and where he was killed, or you know, certain places that draw certain 
evoke these kinds of emotions and thoughts. Uh, the Plain of Megiddo. The land will mourn every family by itself, the family of the house of David itself and their wives by themselves, the family of the house of Nathan by itself, and the wives, their wives by themselves. So these verses just encapsulate and encompass basically everything we've read today. That the one whom they pierced, they would see him in the form of the judgment that came on them for rejecting and killing their own Messiah, right? Now, uh, in closing, back to Revelation 18 and just a few more verses here. <clears throat> for this reason, verse 8, in one day her plagues will come, pestilence and mourning and famine, and she will be burned up with fire, for the Lord God who judges her is strong, the kings of the land, verse 9, who committed acts of immorality and lived sensuously with her, will weep and lament over her when they see the smoke of her burning. Jump down here. Skip several verses here just because uh, we don't really need to read all of it. Verse 19, it says, And they threw dust on their heads and were crying out, weeping and mourning, Woe, woe to the great city in which all who had ships at the sea became rich by her wealth. But in one hour, she's been laid waste. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets. So from the ones participating in Israel's sinful system, this was a, a day of mourning. But for the people of God, from the heavenly perspective, this was a day of rejoicing. What's he say? Rejoice over her, O heaven, you saints and apostles and prophets, the ones being put to death by them. In other words, because God has pronounced judgment for you against her. Then a strong angel came, took a, a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, So will Babylon, the great city, be thrown down with violence and will not be found any longer. Well, to this day, there is no biblical Old Covenant Jewish system. You can't have biblical Judaism without a temple. And I know all of us have seen, whether on TV or personally, you've seen what's called uh, what are they, rabbinic Jews, rabbinic Judaism. Rabbinic Judaism is not biblical Judaism. And any Jewish person will tell you that. It's, it, there's no confusion in that. Um, it's called rabbinic Judaism because it's not biblical Judaism. And it's, it all revolves around the rabbis. Today's rabbinical system is an offshoot of uh, the Pharisees. Because when the temple was destroyed, the Sadducees were, were done, and there's never been a, a, a sort of revision of them, or what, uh, whatever you want to call it, because they believed you could only serve Yahweh in the temple. The Sadducees did. The Pharisees thought you could take your bondage and pour it out on everybody else out there, too. Did you get that? Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah. yeah. So, uh, so after they had no temple, they just tried to hold on to what traditions and teachings they could, and they would consider it, like Roman Catholics do, just in some of their things, necessary, logical, progressive outworkings, uh, you know, uh, of certain things. Um, well, if, well, if God has destroyed our temple, but we're still supposed to worship and serve him, we'll just do the best we can without our temple, basically. That's what modern-day rabbinic Judaism is, right? So biblical temple, animal, bloodshedding Judaism has been gone for 2,000 years. And I know every three months, somebody says, oh, there's a red heifer now. Oh, well, they found a spotless red heifer. Oh, my, oh, oh, they're going to build the temple next week. They're going to start construction. Every week, every three months, every whatever, you hear it again. Doesn't happen and won't happen. That system's dead and gone forever, you know. So we don't have to worry or think about stuff like that. Why in the world a Christian would want a temple to go kill animals in when you've got the blood of God himself cleansing you, is absurd. It's exactly what Hebrews chapter 10 is about. He said, whenever you count the blood of the Son of God no longer worthy and go back, you, you get different translations, you count it as unholy or as a common thing and go back to the blood of animals. He said, for that sin, there is no more remission of sin. What he was saying there was, there is no forgiveness in the blood of animals. There's, there's not another system coming. God came and shed his blood. And if that can't get the job done, a stinking goat's not going to get the job done. And that's the Hebrews chapter 10, you know, sinning willfully. 
That's all he was talking about was those Jews who had seen the truth of the Messiah but were going to reject it for fear of the persecution and stick with the blood of animals. But he, and he talks about falling into the hands of God and a great and terrible thing and burning. He's talking about how the temple and the people clinging to the temple system would be destroyed. All right? So nonetheless, he said, and the sound of the harp, I'm trying, I'm, so, I'm trying to hurry you. The sound of the harpists, musicians, flute players, trumpeters will not be heard in you any longer. No craftsman of any craft will be found in you any longer. The sound of a mill will not be heard in you any longer. The light of a lamp will not shine in you any longer. The voice of the bridegroom, the bri I mean, it's shut down, baby. And that's what exactly what Joel chapter 2, Matthew 24, Acts chapter 2 is talking about whenever he says uh, it's, it originated with Joel chapter 2 as far as the prophecy goes. But whenever uh, he says, uh, how's it go? The moon will be turned to blood. The sun will be turned dark, and then the stars of the heaven will fall to the earth. Well, it's not literally, physically, uh, obviously. One star hits the earth, this whole thing's wiped out. We understand that. So it's prophetic language, right? In other words, it's lights out on Old Covenant Israel. That system will no longer share the illumining light of God, the truth of God anymore. There's a new covenant system, right? And so that's why, as we get into a few chapters later here, there is no light in the city because the Lamb himself is the light of the new city, which we are. Amen? Amen. Amen. Last, verse, uh, last two verses. The light of the lamp will not shine uh, because all the sorcery, sorcery, sorry, the nations were deceived by her sorcery. And in her was found the blood of the prophets and of the saints and of all who had been slain in the land. And so again, this reference to God bringing vindication to his first century, uh, his new people who are being killed, but God promises them vindication. And uh, anyway, so, four more chapters, and we will have finished Revelation. I think I can do it in two weeks. Now listen, it's going to be a little challenging, because all of us have 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years of preconditioning and it's really hard to get an American mind, which you've, I think you guys have done sensational, incredible. But it, it's very difficult to get our mind. And I think we, you know, I, I've done a sufficient job to show you these things. It, like two witnesses. Well, it's not Moses and Elijah or anything like that. It's in the mouth of every word, let two or three witnesses be established. And they breathe fire. And all. Well, he's talking about the law system and how long did... Three and a half years. He's talking about the law system was prophesying judgment on Old Covenant Israel for those three and a half years. And all, you know, the sun, moon, and stars. Well, that's not literal, physical. That's spiritual, prophetic language. And all through the book here, we've looked at these things. You know, the beast. Well, that's not a literal beast going to come up out of the ocean someday with seven heads and ten horns. It's figurative, prophetic language that Jewish people in that day understood. The lamb was slain. I mean, Jesus is not a furry little creature, man. Uh, hello, you know, the great red dragon, which is Satan. All right, so we understand these things. And Bill Johnson uh, said one time in a church service, uh, talking about Revelation, he said this, and this is, I'll kind of leave you with this. He said, when we read the book of Revelation, he said, when we see Jesus as a lamb, literal, literal or symbolic, he said, when we see Satan as a great red dragon, literal or symbolic? All right, so he went through all these different scenarios. A beast with seven heads, ten horns, literal, symbolic, and all these things. And then he said this, when we get to a thousand-year reign, literal or symbolic? And he said it was silent. So it's hard to get people. Now, let me just tell you this now. The early church, in the early church, the first several centuries of the church, it was literally a heresy to believe. It's crazy to think today, but it was actually officially deemed a heresy to believe the thousand years was a literal thing. To believe that Jesus did all that he did and was so weak and defeated that he's just sitting up in heaven and broke, busted, and disgusted. But one day he'll come back and be victorious. It was, it's, forgive me, my theological geek side. Chileism, C H I L A I ism. Chileism, I think was the technical term for it. 
And it was the heretical belief that the thousand-year reign was a literal physical, a, a literal thousand years. Because, in other words, King Jesus is not waiting to one day come to reign and be king. He's king now. He's king Jesus, right? And so um, there's so many things we'll get into with some of that. Let me just say this. God, in the book of Exodus, what did he tell Moses? Uh, that he would be faithful. Uh, uh, how's the wording there go? But uh, Generation to generation. Thousands to thousands. Now think about, here's a better one. Psalm chapter 50. God owns the cattle on how many hills? Wow. Literal or symbolic? Yeah. You know, I mean, what about the thousand and first hill? You know, so he's, you know, it, and there's many examples. One puts a, how many to flight? One puts a thousand to flight, two, whatever. You know, it's not, lit, you know, and so it can be a little difficult, but I think we've gone through the this enough. I would certainly hope so after all this time, you know, that you can at least see the possibility of these things, right? And so we'll get into some of these, you know, the judgment seats and, you know, even in Revelation chapter 22, you know, the, the trees, the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. Well, that's not heaven. In heaven, people don't need healing. It's the truth of, here's another, oh, oh boy, whenever Satan gets bound, oh, is he going to get thrown into a literal prison cell? It's not what it's talking about. It's talking, and it literally says here, I, we, we've missed it for so long. He was bound so he could no longer deceive the nations. Amen. In other words, the truth of the gospel has come, and the truth makes you free. Amen. So he can't deceive, he can't blind people anymore. Second Corinthians chapter 4, the God of this age had blinded their minds from the glory, I'm quoting, the glorious truth of the gospel, right? And then he goes on and talks about Jesus. So, so get your minds there, and it'll be fun. Four more chapters. The Glory Center would like to thank you for listening to this podcast. We hope that it is encouraged and ministered to you. We also would like to invite you to check out our website at glorycenter.org.